0: So a number of years ago, I uh, was speaking at a conference in, in Winnipeg. And when I got to the airport, I got in my rental car, which is this tiny little, uh, I think it was like a Toyota Yaris or something like that, which is a great car if you're driving in the city, but it's not a great car if you're driving through rural uh, Manitoba, leaving Winnipeg in in the wintertime. The appropriate car is like a Hummer, something like that. But I was driving this tiny little car uh, in the black of night. And I had never experienced darkness like this before because, uh, living in the city, um, you know, there's always light sources that are around. And so you're never really confronted with utter darkness. But if you've ever driven, uh, out, in, you know, in a rural, rural area of the province, uh, where, uh, there's just no light sources whatsoever, the utter darkness is just totally disconcerting. And, uh, You just have no light sources around to give you that comfort. You don't realize uh, what it's like to just be in in the middle of nowhere where you can't see your own hand in front of your face. And um, this past week, as we have considered um, the things that have occurred in the world that have dominated our news feeds, uh, this darkness that we're faced uh, to look at is just utterly disconcerting. And it's in the midst of... um, the realities of what we are grappling with, uh, day to day, um, that the gospel promise of redemption and restoration is like a supergiant star that is blasting through the darkness of night. And it just is tremendously comforting. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the scriptures and, uh, hovering around the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his cross um, to see um, how it is uh, uh, that the the word of God and the grace of God um, guide us in thinking about mercy and justice. And um, our text for this morning is going to be uh, two short texts, one from Genesis chapter 1, 1, one from Psalm 8, to orient us around our basis for mercy and justice. And we're going to look at three things this morning. The first thing is the the basis for anger at injustice. Secondly, the call to be ministers of mercy and justice. And then thirdly, the cross of Christ, the intersection of mercy and justice. Starting in Genesis chapter one. Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? Or that the son of man is that you care for him. You made him a little lower than Elohim. You crowned him with glory and honor. This is God's word. First I want us to think about our basis for anger at injustice, which of course is an appropriate response. When you see this phrase image and likeness, it means that originally the plan of God is that we as a humanity would reflect his image, we would be an expression of him in the same way that a very still lake reflects the sky in the same way that when you look over a very calm body of water, it reflects the landscape perfectly, and of course, because of the brokenness of our sin, because of the brokenness of of humanity in the world that we live in, we do not perfectly um, reflect the image of God, but rather we imperfectly reflect it. Um, because our souls are not still like a glassy sea. They're churned up uh, because uh, because of the sin that plagues our world. But what the scripture gives us, which is our basis for anger and injustice, is that all people are created as image bearers of God. Every ethnicity, not one ethnicity, not one kind of person, all people. And so injustice and oppression... And racism. It is saddening and it's angering because every single person, regardless of their culture, their class, their creed, regardless of whether they share uh, our ethics as a Christian community, they are image bearers of God. And so, as such, they deserve this dignity and this love. And what we, what we see here that the scriptures uh, provoke us to consider is that we have not purposelessly uh, evolved but we were purposefully created. And that has tremendous implications because being an image bearer of God means that our origins were very high. And because our origins are very high, our value is very high. Our dignity is very high. Our Christian basis for coming to agreement with human rights is because fundamentally and at the core, we did not crawl from primordial soup where our origins were low, but we are created in the image of God. And so there is a dignity and there is a value that is placed on every person, which is very high. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 teaches us that every human being, regardless of their worldview, regardless of their faith position, has eternity put in their hearts by God. Romans chapter 1 says that everybody regardless of their worldview, regardless of their faith position, has a knowledge of God, an innate knowledge of God, even if they suppress that knowledge. These are things that the creator God has put in us. And because both of of those things are true, when we see injustice against our fellow man, it grates against the very core of our identity, knowing deep within our human psyche that we are image bearers of God, created in Uh, the image of God and so there's an anger that is justified because oppression and injustice and racism is an abuse of the intended design of God and so this is why you know even in uh, COVID nobody's being Darwinian none of us in COVID are saying you know most of us are going to survive so let's not self-isolate let's not wear masks let's just go about life and hey um if it wipes out everybody over 60 and people with weak weaknesses and autoimmune disorders, viruses are just nature's way of weeding out the weak. Nobody is being Darwinian. Darwinians are not being Darwinian. Because deep in the soul of humanity is the understanding that we have been, uh, that eternity is in our hearts, the scriptures say. And so we consider this and we recognize that even in nature, every day, the strong prey on the weak. And this is not a and this does not bother us when the strong prey on the weak. But the reason why we are outraged when we look at the things that are going on in our news feeds, when the strong prey on the weak, when we see this oppression is because at the core, we know we are not merely bigger-brained animals. We are created in the image of a God who is transcendent. And so that's why in the face of oppression and racism and injustice. At the core, the basis for our anger, this guttural anger that we, we feel, regardless of our worldview, cries out and says, this isn't right. When you look at the words of Psalm 8, <clears throat> look at the phrase, um, not mere, that we are created a little lower than God. Not a little higher than the animals, a little lower than God. This radical dignity uh, that is given to all people. There is no one ethnicity that greater reflects the image of God, but every ethnicity in its own diverse and unique way is reflecting an aspect of the image of God. And so we are created very high, but we are fallen. And so this world that we live in, it's beautiful, but it's broken. This is the basis for our anger and injustice. That everybody, regardless of their... Their culture, their class, their creed is an image bearer. So let's move on to the second thing, which is our call to be ministers of mercy and justice. <clears throat> Again, if you look at the, the, the text in Psalm 8, it says that we are been, we've been crowned with glory and honor. You know, we're very high but fallen. When we think about how God's word guides us to be ministers of justice and mercy, when you think about God's law, Matthew 22, Jesus summarizes God's law. And he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. In Romans 13, the law is expounded further, and the law, and, and it says this, it says, Love is the fulfillment of the law. That love does no harm to a neighbor. And so, as we continually look into God's word, into how you and I are called as believers to engage in conversation and in action in our city as ministers of justice and mercy, here's what we find. The emph- there's a radical emphasis on neighbor. But it is the question is never, who is my neighbor? Define my neighbor so I know who I'm supposed to be loving toward. The question is not who's my neighbor. The question is always, will others find me to be a loving neighbor. Will those who interact with me find me to be a person of love? This is the fulfillment of God's law. This is the call to be a person of mercy and of justice. And so in these trying times, when our, our, our news feeds have these endless, uh, you know, we can scroll endlessly at the w- ways that uh, we're continually hurting and oppressing and killing each other, here we find ourselves crying out for justice again. And as we are rightly mortified, by the recent acts of racism, not just south of of the border, but also in our own country. Uh, As we're rightly mortified by that, may we, church, be willing to look in the dark corners of our own hearts to confess where there may be sneaky and subtle forms of racism, even in our own hearts while we are rightly calling out for the need for societal reform, institutional reform, educational or judicial reform, all of those things are good and all of those things are needed, may we at the same time consider not just external reform, but where in our own hearts and our own lives we need reform, where we need the spirit to continue to do reform. And as we are rightly outraged by these fevered ideologies uh, of race superiority, may we consider if in our own unique and unloving way we are capable of relating to others, viewing others, speaking about others, possibly treating others with, some, with, with, with a form of veiled, insidious superiority. Uh, as we consider Romans 15, which is a text that very uh, m- many of us know it says, weep with those who weep. It instructs us uh, in how we to love and, and care for those who are in mourning. Weep with those who weep. And I think that as we consider the call to be ministers of mercy and justice, as we consider the dignity that we've been given as image bearers of God, as those created a little lower than Elohim, the call to weep with those who weep, we must ask ourselves the question, do we hear the cry of the weep, of those who are weeping? And when we hear the cry of those who weep, what is our response? Um, Years ago, Susan and I had a a sobering experience where we were at a funeral um, for a young child who was in a car accident, thrown from the vehicle and was killed. And I want you to imagine, if you can, being at a funeral where... The family and friends are mourning the death of a small child. And somebody comes up to the microphone and says, actually all children matter. I know this child matters, but all children matter. Is that true? Yes. Does the mourning grieving family know that is true? Yes. Is it heartless and cold and tone deaf and unhelpful for those who are weeping? Yes. And I think that as we consider um, this day that we are living in, church, and who we are going to be in this day that we are living in, I think that as we consider this point in history, the cry of those who weep right now is Black Lives Matter. And to respond with All Lives Matter is not to weep with those who weep. It diminishes and it flattens the cry of the weep, of those who weep. It, in fact, it downplays and it trivializes those who weep. And so, the only response to those who are weeping and crying and saying Black Lives Matter, or if you're in Vancouver and you're mourning the death of the Indigenous uh, woman or Toronto woman who is brutally killed this last week, if the cry is black lives matter, if the cry is indigenous lives matter, the only merciful, just response is, yes, they do. And so may God's word and God's spirit equip us and empower us to speak healing words in conversation and wise words in conversation with humility and with confidence In moments when unjust and unloving ideologies rear their ugly heads, and may we not be so fearful of social rejection that we are unwilling to speak in defense of or act on behalf of those who are facing unjust and hateful oppression? And I want to turn to the final thing this morning after we consider the basis for our anger at injustice and the call that we have as Christians to be people of mercy and justice, I want us to consider the cross of Christ, which is the intersection of mercy and justice. Our God is not indifferent to injustice. Our God did not stand at a distance and condemn injustice. Jesus Christ came to us and he suffered at the hands of, of injustice in luke chapter twenty three he is on trial in this unjust kangaroo court, and Pilate says, "I find no fault in him, I find no charge in this man and the and the crowd's response is, "Give us Barabbas, the man who was convicted of murder, and the text goes on to say. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and he released the man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Our God knows all about injustice. Our God knows all about uh, oppression. Our God knows all about pain and hurt and suffering. He entered it. And the good news of the gospel for you and I that gives us rest on this Sunday afternoon is that Jesus Christ came to us. He rescued us in his scandalous grace. He is now doing a renewing work in us by that same grace to sanctify us, and He empowers us to go and to be ministers of mercy and justice and love in the culture, because He will, our King, return again and restore all things in grace. Mm-hmm. And so, because that is true, because the King will return to do what the politicians are incapable of doing, what the governments of the world, though they try, and will have uh, a measure of success in achieving cannot comprehensively achieve. Jesus Christ will do. He will restore the unity we crave. Mm-hmm. He will create the society that, of, of flourishing and of love and of unity that evades us that we desire. He will do it. And between now and then, we're not inactive, but we're very active. And we are active as ministers of love and of mercy to our neighbors from the freedom of the scandalous mercy that we have received in Jesus Christ. You know, modern constructs of God want to omit his justice and his judgment, thinking foolishly and naively that a God who is not a God of judgment is somehow more loving. And that is quite simply not true, and it's never been more apparent than it is in in, in today's world. When the man who murdered George Floyd was sentenced to third-degree murder, nobody wrote what a loving judge. Nobody called that loving because it was a tragic miscarry of, ju- of of justice. It was unjust. And so there was outcry to say, that's not justice. But you see, the absence of judgment does not make one more loving. What we have is a God of perfect divine judgment who is also perfectly merciful and loving because he came and he absolved all of our ju- the judgment and the sin that we deserve. Jesus Christ took the fiery judgment of God so that you and I, who actually deserve that, will only receive the warmth of the grace and the mercy of God. This is the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. What the cross means is that now, because of what Jesus has done, God, in his time, can destroy sin without destroying us he can eradicate and wipe the world of injustice without wiping, out, without wiping out us. This is the glory of the cross, the intersection of mercy and justice. A church that we with great humility see that we're not better than anybody else. We're forgiven and we're, we're thankful for the scandalous love and mercy of God. And so our anger at injustice is the right response because our anger is stirred from the harm that it brings from those we love. And that is God's, God's judgment, his judgment and his anger is not because he is devoid of love and care. His anger and judgment actually flows from his love and care. His love and care from those who suffer at the hands of injustice whom he loves. And so we recognize that at the cross, this intersection of mercy and justice is beautiful. We recognize it because the condition of humanity, the cross shows us the condition of humanity is so bad the Son of God had to enter into our darkness and die. But we are so loved, he wanted to. Mm-hmm. In the words of uh, author and apologist uh, Tim Keller, we are far worse than we would care to admit. And yet at the same time, we are far more loved than we'd ever dared imagine. Mm-hmm. At the cross, Jesus has taken what we deserve. And in the end, we will receive what Jesus deserves. And so as Christians, we're not silent inactive spectators of injustice, waiting for Christ to return and fix the world. And neither do we kill ourselves with the naive belief that uh, we are called and able to Christianize the world, but rather from the sheer joy of this gospel, with hearts at rest, being renewed in God's grace, we, we minister mercy and we stand for justice, humbly reflecting God's love in the world as we find opportunity to do so. As we rest in the comfort that God's mercy covers all our sin, may God give us grace to extend mercy to those who sin against us. And may the reality of God's perfect final justice enable us to be people who seek justice without becoming as hateful and as vengeful as the injustice that we oppose. Amen. Let's pray.